Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can go to the book of John, chapter number four. Going to introduce our topic and then we're going to spend the majority of our time there in John chapter 4. I want to preach to us today the power of one. Power of one. You got that picture back there? The power of one. Now, Haley has been working on exponents the last little while and I've been helping her with her homework, and that's a, a crash course of trying to remember how to do everything. Uh, in fact, I helped her one night, and I don't know how much time we spent, and she got to school the next day, and the teacher said, this is all wrong. Every bit of it's wrong. So we're learning together. We're working on exponents. But when we talk about things like exponential growth or exponential, um, I guess it could be loss or income or whatever it is, it's, it's something that doesn't grow in slow increments, but it happens very quickly. So, for instance, if, if this was, that first X was maybe the number 10, and the small little number next to it, that's the exponent, was, was 3. That's not 10 times 3. 10 times 3 is 30. See? I'm pretty good at math. But it's 10 to the power of 3. To the power of 3. So that's 10 times 10, class, that equals... 100 times 10. A thousand. So see, 10 times 3 is only 30, but 10 to the power of 3 is a thousand. 10 to the power of 4 would be 10,000. It, it continues to grow multiplied by whatever that base number is. In the world of mathematics, the exponent of 1 is the least powerful and the least effective of all numbers. In fact, it will decrease most numbers or, or at least make them maintain their current status, maybe not decrease them. So if we said, you know, a million to the power of one, it's still a million. It doesn't change. So in the mathematical world, the power of one is not all that impressive. But in the kingdom of God, the power of one is nearly unmeasurable. Many times we find in Scripture that the, the way God works is in complete opposition to the way our physical world works. The power, the power of one. In 2015, and I'm going to share some things today that Brother Art Wilson shared at the... Um, North American Missions Conference this weekend, and, and I want to give a little bit of backstory to it as we walk through this. But in 2015, the United Nations held the first ever forum on religion. So if you're not familiar, the United Nations is really the group of people that tell everybody else what they can and can't do. The United Nations is more powerful than China, more powerful than Russia. As much as we don't like to admit it, it's more powerful than America. It is a, a group of world leaders 
If there's ever a platform for a one world government, it exists within the, the United Nations. All of these world leaders, Brother Art Wilson is, is inside there working with these people, but he said that there's, there's all but two nations connected to and partnered with the United Nations. Uh, and they decided in 2015 for the first time ever that they were going to have a forum uh, centered around religion. So they would bring in different people, different speakers that would present various religions to them. In that meeting, in that forum, Brother Lee Stone King stood before these leaders and spoke for just over six minutes. Don't you wish he was your pastor? <laughs> he can say in six minutes what it would take me six weeks to get out. He stood in front of them for just over six minutes and he spoke about the miracle of Jesus raising him from the dead. Amen. If you don't know his story, I would encourage you to just, just go on YouTube and look up Lee Stone King addresses the United Nations. Powerful six-minute testimony. He, he fell dead of a massive heart attack in Sydney, Australia in an airport. Um, they, they shocked him. I think it was ten times trying to revive him. It, it didn't work. He was pronounced dead. All the paperwork was filled out. They put him in the ambulance and began to drive him to the hospital with his paperwork that pronounced him as dead upon arrival. In that, that ride, that ambulance ride, they were done working on him. He was a, a corpse laying in the back of an ambulance. God miraculously raised him back to life. His heart began to beat again. The blood began to flow um, and there's much more to it. I don't have time to tell this whole testimony. I, I wanted to share that video, but then we'd be here for even longer. So go and look it up. It, it would be valuable to you. But he was able to, at the conclusion of this testimony, introduce the world leaders to the salvation message of Acts 2.38. He stood before them and he read to them the scripture and then he declared to them that the only answer... For the issues of our world today is Jesus. Yes, amen. It's Jesus. Now my question for us today is how does that happen? How does a man from our fellowship, someone who speaks truth, someone who has the ability to, to stand with an anointing because he lives a life of holiness and he adheres to the doctrine of the oneness of God and true salvation find himself standing in the presence of all of these world leaders by invitation. You know, Paul found himself standing in the presence of leaders of his day, and that's because he was fixing to go to jail. But these people invited him there to speak. Why, why him? We could talk a lot about the merits of Brother Stone King, and, and certainly he was qualified, but that's not why he was there. I want you to hold on to that, and we're going to come back to that in a little while. But let's go to the book of John. Can't just preach to you a message of, of testimony today. We want to go to the Word of God and make sure that we're, we're grounded. John chapter number 4. I'm going to read some text throughout this chapter, but I'm going to start with verse 5, read through verse 7. Then cometh he... That would be Jesus to a city of Samaria, well, which is called uh, Shikar, near 
the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So Jesus is very intentionally, if you read the verses before this, making his way to the area of Samaria, a place that Jewish people would typically not go. They would do anything they could to avoid the people of Samaria. There was, there was racial tension there. On his way to Samaria, they come to Shikar, and there's a well that has uh, historical significance to, to Jacob and to Joseph, and he sits down, and he's tired, and he's weary, and so he just he has a seat, and we'll, we'll find out here in a minute that somewhere in this dialogue, he sends his disciples ahead, and they go into town to buy some food. Jesus must have been pretty tired because he's like, I'm, I'm not going to just go. You guys get whatever you want. Bring me something back. I'm just going to hang out here. And here comes a lady from Samaria. She recognizes him as a Jew. So there, there's this tension there. She does not know who he is. This is driving crazy. Does not know who he is. And so he just looks at her. He doesn't say, hi, how are you today? What a lovely day we have. Isn't this a beautiful evening? No, he says... Give me a drink of water. Uh, okay. That's a little bit of an awkward introduction. Especially when you're already having two people that, that naturally don't like each other. Give, give me a drink of water. There's a dialogue that goes back and forth between them about, about water. And Jesus says to her something along the lines of, If you really knew who I was you would have immediately asked me for a drink of water. Because everybody that drinks out of this well, after a little while, they're going to get thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water I have to offer, they're never going to thirst again. And so verse 14 and 15 reads like this, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So there's, there's a little bit of a struggle in the relationship in the beginning. And now she's coming around to the point where he, he's speaking some things into her life that resonate. And she responds, Sir, I, I want, I want that water. Give me, give me the water goes on and she begins to talk about the coming of the Messiah and, and all of the things that that's going to take place. Verse 19, she has greater revelation as to who she's talking to. And it, it reads like this, the woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So now there's there's greater revelation. She's beginning to understand more who Jesus is. We get down to verse 25 and 26, and it says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. So she's excited. There's this whole dialogue in between there about where they worship and how they worship. And, and there's still not really an argument, but there's, there's a healthy give and take between this woman. And she does not understand yet that she's talking to God in the flesh. 
And so she's kind of contending with him about how their people worship and where their people worship. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming, the Christ, that he's, he's coming and he's going to tell us all things. Jesus makes a, a statement to her that's kind of outstanding and only he can make it. He looks at the woman in, in verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Yeah, that Messiah you're looking for, that the Christ that you know is coming, yeah, that, that's me. I've shown up on the scene today and you, you didn't even recognize, you didn't even know that you were talking to me all this while. Going to verse 29 and 30, the woman goes back to town. The disciples, first the disciples show up in between there and, and they're kind of taken back. See, they're still caught up in this, this tension thing and they, they were like, What's he doing talking to? The scripture says that they're careful not to say this to Jesus. They didn't ask him any questions about it, but they were curious in themselves. Why is he, why is he dealing with a Samaritan woman? What's he talking to her for? What's her problem? She, she should probably just get out of here. Oh. Oh. And she leaves. People can tell when they're not welcome. And so she leaves. She's gone. She, she goes back, but she goes back with a message. And in verse 29 and 30, she's back in the city and she's talking to the men of the city. And she's saying, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So she goes back into the city and she's got a story to tell. And she begins to talk to the people of the city and tell them that she met the Messiah. Now that, again, it was a bold statement for Jesus to make. But now she's gone back into the city and she's telling everyone, Messiah has come. I just met the Messiah. That's kind of an unbelievable statement. But yet they, they grab on and they begin to come out with her. Going down to verse 39, we'll read one more section of Scripture, 39 through 42. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And they abode there, and he abode there, Two days. And many more believed because of his word. And he said unto the woman, Now, I'm sorry, and said, so it's the people of the city saying to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, Jesus desired to make an impact on a city. And yet he did not even enter the city with his disciples. He went there and it wasn't on his way somewhere else. The Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. In the beginning verses of this, this chapter, it says that he wanted to go to Samaria. He wanted to make an impact on this city. And yet it's strange to me that when he was so close to his goal, he's so close to his desire to, to get into this city, he stops and he stays on the outskirts and sends his disciples into the city. He could have walked into town square and done some miraculous miracle 
and, and affected the lives of many people. And yet he just, he just stops and hangs out. Sends everybody else ahead. And here comes this one lady. And while he could be in the middle of the city interacting with, with who knows how many people, he chooses to spend his time with one. This woman was not influential. She was not a prestigious lady of the community who was dignified and well-respected among all the citizens of Samaria. In fact, as Jesus begins to talk to her, you can read in the gaps that we left out there. He says to her at one point when she says, give me a drink of that water, that, that water that you say is going to help me to live forever and, and I'm going to be able to never thirst again and have everlasting life. And Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. He's probably thirsty too. She says, well, I don't have a husband. She's not being fully honest. She's kind of being honest, but not fully honest. And Jesus can tell the difference. And he says, yeah, I know. In fact, the, the guy you're living with, not only is he not your husband, but, but you've had five other people that, that you've been married to. And she's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's nowhere else to go. She recognizes that. But this was, this was who she was. Her reputation was tainted. She wasn't, you know, the, the top of the, the crowd. Jesus didn't hang back because he was just waiting for an opportunity to speak to this lady because he knew if he could just reach her, he could win everybody. She had no credentials. And yet he impacts her life so greatly that she walks back into the city and begins to speak to the, the, to the leaders, to the men of the city and say, listen, you've you got you to gotta come see the Messiah. I've, I've met a man and, and he began to tell me things about my life and, and he impacted me and he ministered to me and, and man, I, I have found the Messiah. The fact that they even listened to this woman is, is astounding. Yeah, you found plenty of men before. Go on. Get out of here. And yet there was something in her testimony that was undeniable because when Jesus does a work in the life of a person, it's more than just their words at that point. I think it's so cool that the scripture, it spells it out for us and it's so direct. It says, it says many believed just at the word of this woman. When she says, hey, come, come with me. Let's go. I want to show you this guy. The scripture tells us despite her past, despite her reputation, despite everything that she had done, that many people began to believe that Jesus was the Messiah just because of her testimony. They hadn't even met him yet. That's power. See, there's something about the power of one. Just one voice, just one woman that was willing to, to go back into Samaria and speak. Hey, listen, I found the Messiah. Guess what? He's a Jew. Yeah, you know the people you don't like? Yeah, come, come meet this Jewish guy. Who's the Messiah? And many people, because of the, the tone or, or the urgency, I don't know what it was in her voice. There was something different about what she was saying. Many people began to believe on Jesus as the Messiah just because she said so. And the ones that didn't believe just because she said so were at least intrigued enough to come out and see for themselves. It says they came out to meet him, the entire city. Jesus wanted to go into and impact Samaria, and yet he doesn't even, he doesn't even go there. The entire city, they, they're all coming out to meet Jesus. And they get out there, and he begins to minister to them and, and, and work with them. And by the end of the story, it says that, that they go back to the lady and they say, now, now we don't believe just because of your word, but we've also been impacted 
and touched and changed. And our life has been affected. We know now for ourselves because, because we've heard it. We've heard it firsthand. And an entire city, and I, I realize when I say that I'm not talking about every individual, but a, a large multitude from the city of Sychar is impacted and their eternity is altered because their faith is put in Jesus. Why? Because one single woman was able to speak up and declare a testimony within that city. There is something to the power of one. The power of one. So how does Brother Lee Stone King find himself standing in the pulpit of the UN preaching Jesus by invitation to so many world leaders? I, I love it. One woman who attended Brother Art Wilson's church in Detroit, Michigan. Okay, everybody know where Detroit, Michigan is? Help me out. Where is the UN? I probably wouldn't have known this. I just, just found this out. Anybody know where the UN is? Where do they meet? I didn't know either. New York City. So they meet in New York City. All right. In fact, he, he told us about this a little bit. When, you're, when you walk through the iron gates of the UN, you're no longer on American soil. You're in the middle of New York City and you're not even on American soil anymore. It's considered diplomatic soil. So all of these people that come from all, all the other nations, they're not, they're not coming. When they, when they walk into that area, they're not in America. It's diplomatic soil. It's, it's a very unique place. But it's in New York City. One woman who attended Brother Art Wilson's church in Detroit, Michigan, had a sister who worked at the UN. The sister that worked at the UN became terminally ill. I don't know what the disease was. It may have been stated and I missed it. But she became terminally ill to the point where she was released from her duties and sent home from the UN. So she worked shoulder to shoulder with all of these people. Leaders of nations who gather together to, to talk about how they can, can come together and how they can work together on a regular basis. She becomes deathly ill. Everyone knows her situation. She gets sent home and she can't come back to work. Basically, it was the, the end of the road. She had reached a point in her illness that she could no longer work. She was going to die. She begins to pray on her own and, and seek God for, for help. And I don't know what her understanding was at this point. She just she wanted the Lord to do a work in her life. Obviously, when you get to the end and there's nowhere else to turn and none of the doctors have answers and no, none of the scientists can figure it out, where else do you go at that point? And she began to seek God. And she visits her family in Detroit. So now she goes from New York to Michigan to visit her family. And while she's there, she goes to church with her sister. While she's at church with her sister, she's anointed and prayed over. And she's touched by God and healed. Miraculously healed. To the point where she goes back to the doctor and they take more x-rays and the organs that were dead and not working, and, and those x-rays are dated, 
And then you have new x-rays that are dated and laid side by side, and those same organs are now fully functioning. She is, she is completely healed. So she walks back into the UN and starts doing her job again. Everybody wants to know, how did this happen? She can't explain it. She doesn't know what to say to him. So she calls Brother Art Wilson back in, in Michigan. Says, hey, what, what do I do? What do I tell these people? I like him because he's honest. He, he wanted a way out. Um, he didn't know what to tell them either. And so he said, well, tell them I can come and explain it. And his thought process as he's explaining the story is, they're not going to let me in there. I mean, it, it's barred up. It's locked shut. And she says, well, I'll, I'll ask. And just a little while later, she calls back and says, when can you come? Uh, so he makes his way to the UN and, and they're going to have a Bible study. And again, hearing his, his perception, his understanding of what's going to happen, there's going to be a, a room with some of our closest co-workers, and, and they're going to come in, and he's going to kind of talk to them about Jesus and, and what took place for this lady, and, and then he's going to go home, and man, praise God, that was wonderful. But he says they walk him in, they give him the tour, and they bring him into this room, and then the door opens, and, and people from every nation just start filing into this room. Leaders of, of Muslim countries, leaders of Buddhist countries, leaders of, of foreign, foreign lands, and, and they all come in, and he said the room fills up with people. And he testifies about the power of God, and they show the, the x-rays and the healing power. He begins to talk about the healing power of God. And at the end of this, he, he can tell God's moving, and he just makes the invitation, if, if you have a need in your life, and you would like prayer. Just He had everybody bow their heads. Just raise your hand. He said hands go up all over the room. And they spent the entire afternoon walking around for hours. Laying hands on people from all over the world. And praying over them in the name of Jesus. Since this time, 22 people from the United Nations have been baptized in the name of Jesus. Including leaders of Muslim countries. Say so he walks into the place now and, and people call him pastor. And he's thinking, aren't they Muslims? <laughs> I, we baptized them, maybe they're not. And, and so there, there's this influence on an international level. All of this leads to the UN deciding in 2015 to hold this forum on religion. And Brother Lee Stone King standing before all of these individuals and speaking the Word of God, declaring the salvation message of the Bible to the world for all to hear. This has gone completely viral on, on YouTube, and I looked it up this morning before church. It's currently at 487,269 views. That's a lot of people. And I'm sure there are multiples in there. I know I've, I've listened to it more than once, but, but that's a lot of people. It's also worth noting, Brother Art Wilson shared this, that as these people, as their staffs grow and there's turnover, all of these people want to be very informed. And so anything that takes place on that, that platform from that pulpit is recorded 
And let's say that you get a call and now you're going to be hired by one of these, these teams, these people. You're going to work for them. You're going to go back and you're going to watch this. So from that point forward, every single global leader has at least heard the message of Acts 2.38 salvation. Where does it start? Where does it start? We go back and we ask the question, where, where did that begin? I've told you the story. I would ask you today, where, where did it begin? By the power of one. Who was the one? The lady sister. Thank you for catching it. Because you know what my mind said immediately? The lady that was sick. That lady that was sick. And man, she was sick. And then she went back. But it doesn't start with her. She's the second person in the, in the trickle effect. The power of one was a faithful lady in a church in Detroit, Michigan, who was showing up week after week and praying for her family and still reaching out and, and being willing to pick up the phone and say, hey, sis, I, I love you. I'm sorry for the things you're going through. I know a God that can heal you. I, I know a God that can deliver you from that. And it's just one voice just kind of ringing out. And she probably felt insignificant. How, where, where am I ever going to reach the world? We say that we're going to change the world. This lady probably thought, yeah, right. But we can trace back all of these things, all of these global leaders. We can trace back the, the baptism of Muslim leaders and, and all of these different people that have now experienced the power of God. I mean, we can trace back Brother Lee Stone King standing before the United Nations and, and preaching the gospel for all the world to hear. And Brother Art Wilson going on a regular basis. This is still ongoing. He still holds Bible study in the United Nations building on a regular basis. He's now, they have given him the title of an ambassador. He travels as an ambassador to foreign lands. And, and he... I like his question because when they extended the opportunity and they said, we want you to come all around the world and we want you to speak like you do here. He said, can I say whatever I want to? And in fact, there have been there have been people he, he kind of laughs about it, but that have invited him and said, you have to come to my country and, and address my staff. And his question is, am I going to come back? Because <laughs> it's a scary thing. Where does all that start? It starts with one lady in a church, faithful, praying, being willing, willing to lift her voice and say, you know what? I know the doctors don't know what to do. And I know the scientists have come to an end. And I know there's no medicine you can take. But I serve a God that can heal you. Why don't you just, why don't you just come to church with me? Why don't you just let them anoint you with oil? Why don't you just let them pray over you? And one person sets in motion something that God uses to reach nations. Nations, because one person was willing to speak. We can personalize this. Why is there a church in Fergus Falls? Why are we all gathered here today? Why is there a place, Cliff, that you can come and, and worship God? Be filled with the Holy Ghost a couple weeks ago. Man, I'm excited for you. Why, why does this place exist? You say, well, this place exists because, because you know, God called me to... Come here and start a church. He called our family to do that. Maybe. Let's back up a little bit. 
Because I, I didn't grow up in church. I wasn't born with a necktie and a Bible. Saying, yep, God's going to use me to plant a church. No, no, no. I, I was lost. And God moved on the heart of a, of a guy in a crystal marlette to reach out to their nephew that lived all the way in Alabama and say, hey, why don't you come spend the summer with us? No guarantees, no, no promises. No, you just come and work. You just come and make a little money and spend some time with family. So there I am, 15 years old, don't have a clue about anything. I, I mean, I didn't have a clue about anything. I wasn't trying to be rude or disrespectful. I was just ignorant to the things of God. They had the whole youth group over one night. I got out of the shower in my towel and didn't have the common sense to go get dressed. I sat down in the living room and my towel started hanging out with the youth group. I was I, that, that's just, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Ignorant to the things of God. And yet there was somebody that said, hey, why, why don't you come? They were the youth leaders. They could have been horrified. And they're willing to say, hey, you know what? You're here for the summer. Why don't we have a Bible study? Amen. Yeah, okay. And in the course of three months, God radically changes my life. And by the end of that summer, I'm baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I pick up the phone and I say, yeah, hello, uh, Mom. Yep, um, I'm not coming home. That's, a, that's not an easy conversation for a mother. I can't even imagine at least 12. That's like three years from now. We're going to visit somewhere and be like, not coming home. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> but my mom could recognize and, and my stepdad could recognize that it was, it was a healthy move. It was a healthy change. And, and here we are. But maybe it didn't start with them. Maybe it started with the fact that there was a church in St. Cloud that they could come into contact with God and begin to build a relationship with themselves. And Guy, my uncle, he had some background. His family had been impacted when the church was planted in Grand Rapids. So maybe it was the, the testimony of a Marlette family. Or maybe it starts with a Rudy Bow, who in his basement of his retirement home in Grand Rapids in the later years of his life began to start a church in a city where there were no churches. Or maybe it starts with the individual that mentored and ministered to Rudy Bow. We really have no idea. It all started with one person somewhere being willing to say something. And they probably had no idea that, that the trickle effect of their ministry was going to result in the planting of at least two churches and the salvation of multitudes. But in the kingdom of God, there is power in one. There is, there is power in one. Consider this. You are the doorway to revival. You're the doorway to revival. It's easy for us to look back and, and to follow these, these trails into the past and say, wow, look at what they did. But in the moment of what they were doing, there was no wow to it. It wasn't a wow type of thing. It was just somebody loving somebody. Somebody being willing to disciple somebody. 
somebody being nervous and uncomfortable and, and feeling inadequate, but, but still saying, hey, hey, uh, um, um, my name is so-and-so and, and um, yeah, I, I go to this church and, and maybe, maybe you'd want to come with me sometime. And I hope we do it better than that, but really, let's be, that's how we feel at times. I don't have the right words to say. I, I don't know how to, how to really go about it. I can't explain to you how God works. I, I'm not eloquent. I, I don't have the right, the right uh, charisma or personality. Or, but, but I know Jesus. And I would like you to know Jesus. And, and, and why, don't, why, don't you come, why don't you come with me to church? Man, I feel like a, a stumbling buffoon. But, but, but there's these Bible studies that, that we can get at our church. And I'm just wondering, would you like to, could, could we go through this together? And there's no wow to that. It's not like the, the people that you're talking to stand back and go, wow, you're changing the world. You bring one person to church, nobody goes, oh my goodness, the, the world will never be the same. It's not a wow type of thing, but, but in heaven. That's why the scripture says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Why? Because that one sinner is connected to 10 or 15 or 20 other sinners. They're going to impact so many other people in their life. And it all starts with one. There's a power in, in one. Your impact on those around you, your witness, your prayers, your involvements. How you pull in those that God sends to his house. You know, it, it amazes me. Sometimes we go out and we work the harvest field and we reach people. And that's wonderful. We have to do that. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be laborers in the field. There are other times that people just show up. I think we're, I can't say more responsible. We're, we're at least just as responsible for the care of those people. As the ones we reached. Because God sent them here. You look at those people that were here last week. I'll tell you the backstory of it. Um, I'll tell you some of the backstory of it. Two of them called me during the week. And I get a call. I'm standing up on a ladder. Hanging off by one hand. I don't even know why I answered the phone. Probably not the best time to answer the phone. But I answer the phone. And it's, hey, uh, this is so-and-so is my name. Do you, we're just calling to see if you do weddings. And I'm like, uh, we do weddings for members only. Because I'm careful with the whole wedding thing. I'm not looking for a church lawsuit because people that biblically should not be married want to be buried. Married, not buried. That's weird. <laughs> Nobody calls for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just real quickly passed it out. Oh, okay, yeah, no problem. Click, hang up, phone's done. Get done working off the ladder, and I just felt God kind of nudging me about it. Like, really? That's all you got to say? Yeah, I'm trying to do a job here. I'm trying to build stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm at work. And so I just I took the phone out and I called back and I said, Look, I gave you a short answer. I was hanging off the ladder, explaining to him what was going on. And I said, I, I was honest. Like, we, we don't just randomly do weddings, but I will meet with you. I'll at least meet with you if, if you're open to that. Um, and then later on, I sent him a text. I said, hey, we're going to be meeting. We're supposed to meet on Monday. Didn't actually happen. But I said, as long as we're meeting, I, I'd also like to invite you to church. To which they responded, we'll be there. So I expected to see two people come to church. In walks five people 
And they actually apologized. I hope it's okay that we brought people with us. <laughs> we'll let it slide this time. But in walks five people. Now, the, the two that we originally had contact with, they've got some mandatory stuff they've got to deal with. They're not going to be around for a little while. But I have shared with you before, God's really been dealing with me about a Bible study in, in Breckenridge. And so I'm looking through, and I have them in my office now. I'm looking through the visitor cards after church. And all these people that just came to church, where do they live? They live in, in Breckenridge. And so I called them during the week and, and started talking to them. And that's when they shared some of the stuff I told you about earlier. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, it, it's strange. Like, I've, I've really been wanting to get over to your area. I've got to get this crazy building built. And, and I want to do something over there. And I don't know what's going to come of all this. People change their mind. Things change. I'm not telling you anything's in concrete. But I'm telling you their initial response was, yeah, we're getting ready to rent this house that has a fully finished basement. And, and we would love to host that Bible study. We didn't go out and knock those people's door. We didn't do anything. But, but clearly God's doing something in their life. And when God started doing something in their life, he ordained them to come into this church. So when I make this passing statement, I, I got to have us have context. But how you pull those in who God sends to his house is, is important. Sometimes we think somebody else will do it so I don't have to. Somebody else will call them this week. Somebody else will write them a note. Somebody else will make sure that they're, they're greeted. Somebody else will invite them out for lunch. Let's, let's just obliterate that mindset. Let's continue to think someone else will do it. But let's add, so will I. That's the church culture that we want to have. Somebody else will call them. So will I. Somebody else is going to reach out to them and make sure that, that they know they're welcome and, and they're invited and we love them and we want to help them and, and so will I. Someone else is going to be willing to come alongside and disciple them and, and so will I. Because that's the mindset we have to have if we're, going, if we're going to open these doors of revival. We will not fully know the impact of the gospel to the power of one until we get to heaven. Where does this, where does this story end? How many of those people that were impacted at the UN have gone back to Lord knows what country? And there's been a trickle effect. I'm going to close. Yeah, I need to close. It just, it just keeps going and going and going and going. God makes some promises to us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But I wonder if this morning we could recommit some things back to the Lord. God, I'm going to be just as faithful. You said you would go with me, but that means I have to go. I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the world. Well, that means I've got to be going somewhere. So, Lord, if you're willing to go with me, I'm, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to put one foot in front of the other. I'm willing to open my mouth, even if i got to chew on shoe leather the entire time, and I feel so uncomfortable doing it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach somebody. Take you back to our text as I close. Jesus didn't accidentally end up in Sychar. He was on his way there. He went there on purpose. He had a plan to reach those people. 
So as we pray and we think this through today and we recommit some things to God and we say, Lord, I'm willing and, and you can use me and I want to be a vessel and, and we pray all the things we pray, I would also challenge you to think about and consider then what is your plan? Because we're not as intentional as Jesus sometimes. We just kind of go through and we say, well, whatever the Lord puts in my path, whatever happens, happens. But we say, man, I want to be like Jesus. But Jesus had a plan. He said, I have to make it. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. So what is, what is your plan? Who is it in your life right now that God's saying, you've you got to reach him? You've got to reach him. And we say, yes, Lord. Whatever happens. When they show up at my house and everything. No, 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 no. You have to reach them. How are you going to do it? What night are they coming over for dinner? What picnic are you going to have? What, what Bible study are you going to teach? Which one? Are you prepared? Have you studied it? Which service are you going to invite them to? Do, do they have a ride? What's, what's the plan? Because accidental evangelism is not as effective as somebody like Jesus saying, you know what, i got to get there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this woman's going to say, but... But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna minister to her. I'm gonna reach because if I could just, if I could just reach one, it's gonna open the door to so much. I'm talking about the power of one today, and I'm reminding us that we are the one. We are the one. I'm gonna open the altar and give you time to pray and talk to the Lord. Consider, ask Him to give you wisdom. Our plans sometimes aren't that great, but the steps of a righteous man are ordered to the Lord. That doesn't mean that they, they just appear out of nowhere right before we take them. God can begin to give you wisdom right now as to how to impact and how to reach the people that you're, you're going after. I'm going to quit. I'm going to be done. You can, you can pray. But there's power in your testimony. There's power in your voice. for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.